Welcome to Let Me Write. Today we're here with Penny Nella and Rachel Feeney. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank Thanks you. For having us. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. First of all, we have some rapid fire questions for you, and Sinead's going to ask those. Uh, thank you for being here. Our first question today is what are your pronouns? She or her. Same here. Uh, what is your coffee order? Double shot skinny latte. Ooh. Double shot piccolo. <laughs> we have some fancy requirements in the room. Strong coffee requirements today. <laughs> Good to know we're among peers. <laughs> uh, what has been the highlight of your year so far? Seeing the release of our module on inclusive end of life decision making. Mm. Seeing end of life law for clinicians being refunded for another three years. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, finally, if you were forced to sing karaoke, what song would you delight us with? Oh, Summer of 69. <laughs> Excellent. I would go with I Will Survive. Oh, oh yes. I think we might have to start like a Spotify playlist for the end of life team. <laughs> Excellent. <collection> songs. <laughs> Thank you. So thank you both so much. Could we start the substantive part of the podcast with you telling us a little bit about your current work and research that you're doing in end-of-life law? Sure. So Rachel and I work on uh, two training and education programs. Both of them are funded by the Australian Department of Health and Aged Care as national palliative care projects. The first is uh, a, an online training program uh, called End-of-Life Law for Clinicians. That's for medical practitioners, nurses and allied health professionals, as well as health professional students. And it focuses on the law about end-of-life decision-making. The second project that I work on is called End-of-Life Directions for Aged Care. And it's designed to support the aged care workforce around advanced care planning and palliative care. And as part of that, we've developed an end-of-life law toolkit uh, which has uh, a range of resources to support aged care health professionals and care workers to know more about the law and how it relates to practice. Wow, so a very comprehensive um, program for people working in end-of-life law. Uh, Rachel, could you tell us a little bit more about what the training involves? So in terms of end-of-life law for clinicians, it's got 13 online modules which are all accredited by the RACGP and also the Colleges for Rural and Remote Medicine, Intensive Care and Emergency Medicine. And there are also case study-based workshops held nationally. So ELK covers legal topics commonly encountered in clinical practice, including things like capacity and consent to medical treatment, withholding and withdrawing treatment, advanced care directives, substitute decision-making, futile or non-beneficial treatment, and providing pain and symptom relief. We've also got a module that focuses on voluntary assisted dying laws across Australia. It covers uh, the law in New South Wales where VAD will commence on 28th of November this year. Excellent, so very comprehensive training. I'm going through all of these um, modules and thinking of what we teach in the nursing unit and it's just so, it, it seems so comprehensive and so um, just broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it seems really obvious that this kind of training is really, really important, but could you please tell us a little bit more about why you've developed ELK and why this is so important for clinicians? So um, as Rachel mentioned, we were recently refunded by the department, which well is very done. exciting. So, <laughs> so that means um, the online training is now in its seventh year. 
And we developed the training in response to a research study that uh, academics from the Australian Centre for Health Law Research conducted with colleagues at other universities. Uh, and that study surveyed doctors from seven different medical specialties across Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. And what the study results showed was that um, there were some doctors who had significant knowledge gaps around really critical areas of end of life decision making. So around advanced care directives and when they might be followed um, around uh, who is a substitute decision maker uh, and also around when treatment can be withheld or withdrawn at the end of life. Um, Interestingly, though, most respondents uh, were very keen to know more about the law and they acknowledged that law has a really important role in medicine. Um, and as a result of that, we sought funding to develop the online training. Um, that sounds amazing because when you think about end of life law, generally there's going to be some probably some sort of consent issues, which is first and foremost, the thing they should be seeking in providing medical treatment. Um, and then naturally, because it is once again, end of life, it's going to be quite sensitive. So issues of withholding and withdrawing treatment, palliative care, these, because they're so sensitive, you would hope that uh, the, the practitioners providing them would know, you know, everything they need to know about that before providing it. So could you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on recently in relation to um, ELK or the end of life law for clinicians? So in the last year, we've released two online modules that uh, relate to different health populations. So the first is a module that looks at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, peoples and families and communities at the end of life and explores how the law relates to some of the um, unique considerations that might arise. So particularly around aspects of health and culture uh, mm -hmm. and also decision making. The other module we've developed focuses on inclusive decision making with four health population groups. Um, so they have uh, some similarities, but also unique considerations. So people with disability, people with frailty, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and LGBTIQ plus people. You mentioned that there was that research, that, that gap in knowledge before. In terms of what you're finding about the impacts of this training and how it's working and how it might be helping clinicians, are you able to speak to the impacts of your work? We definitely can. So, and that's something that's really exciting with ELK as well, because aside from ELK, there's not a great deal of specific targeted training on end-of-life law. There's also not much research or evidence about the impact of this type of training. So we were interested in looking at the impact of ELK, of course. So we asked ELK participants to complete some surveys before and after training to test their legal knowledge, ask them about their self-reported confidence in applying the law in clinical practice, and to collect some feedback on the training. So we found three things. So first of all, after completing the ELK online modules, learners on average scored better on the legal knowledge questions. So after training on average, they scored an additional 2.2 correct answers out of 10. Second, after training, learners also reported being more confident applying the law in practice. So on average, before training, they reported they were not confident, but after training on average reported that they were confident applying the law. And third, learners gave consistently positive feedback on the training, which was great to hear. They also made some suggestions for improvement, which can then feed into our ongoing training updates, which is great too. 
Elk also has some other impacts. And just one example is that a number of Australian medical schools have embedded the training in their mandatory curriculum or learning resources, which is really exciting. Mm. And I know here in the nursing unit, it's part of the, the curriculum there as well. So it's clearly having an excellent impact. Um, I think it's pretty clear why clinicians should be doing this, but Penny, did you want to speak to that a little bit more as well about why this is so important? There's three main reasons we think it's really important for health professionals to have and understanding and, and knowledge of the law. So the first is that, uh, and we don't often think about this, but in addition to their clinical role, clinicians have a really important legal role. Um, they're frequently making decisions um, around end of life and end of life care. So some examples of whether or not they should follow um, a person's advanced care directive, does the law allow that? Um, they might be required to identify from a range of family members and close friends who a person's um, appropriate substitute decision maker is when the person doesn't have capacity and can't decide for themselves. So knowing the law through doing the online training can support clinicians not only to know what is lawful and what is not, but also how to manage those legal issues that arise in their everyday practice. Um, a second reason is that not knowing the law can, of course, create problems. So for health professionals, um, it can result in uh, issues like poor communication um, at the end of life, conflict with patients and families and substitute decision makers. And in the worst case scenarios, it can result in complaints or disciplinary proceedings or even civil or criminal liability where the law isn't followed. Um, that, of course, has flow on effects for patients and families. So. Mm -hmm. Um, it not knowing the law could result in um, a, a patient's end of life wishes or preferences not being respected or treatment being wrongly given or wrongly removed. Um, so, um, so having that legal knowledge can um, enable health professionals to, to, to manage those types of legal risks. Another reason is that patients and families place a lot of trust in their healthcare um, team. We know this, we have done research at uh, QUT around um, community knowledge of uh, the law at end of life. And one of the findings was of that was that patients and families mostly go to their, their GP or their health professional for legal information. So uh, it's really important that um, clinicians have accurate and correct information because mm -hmm. patients and families are relying on that. Uh, and the final reason is that, and I'm very biased, but it's <laughs> an interesting way to get your continuing professional development points. Um, the modules can be completed anytime, anywhere, on a PC or a tablet or a laptop or even your phone. Um, certificates of completion are available. There's quizzes, there's interactive exercises. There's a lot of case studies um, that are based on real clinical scenarios and show how the law applies in practice. Um, so that, that um, hopefully will encourage uh, more health professionals to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to take up the training. So important because death and dying is such a, not only is like a sensitive topic, but it's part of the human condition. You know, there are lots of emotions going on. Mm. It's not simply a black and white treatment of a bone fracture. You know, there are elements of like different cultures, religion, spirituality. It's not simply a physiological process. Mm. So to have such confidence and security in your your GP or your, your doctors or whoever is taking care of you to understand every aspect of that according to the law and then deliver that ethically is so important. I can, it's just, it seems so fundamental 
So maybe I'll talk to my doctor about it. <laughs> Test and see whether they've done elk. <laughs> I'll go in, have a chat, make sure they brush up on their skills. <laughs> One of the questions that we usually ask in this podcast is about government or policy or legal or regulatory solutions to some of the problems but it sounds like there's been a lot of progress already and as you said that this project has been funded again which is fantastic um would you mind just sort of um addressing potentially some of the ways that um regulatory actors or like the government they could continue to promote and you know uh, progress uh, end of life law training for clinicians mm. So there's been increasing recognition probably in the last decade uh, among policymakers, but also uh, from other avenues. So judges, um, statutory inquiries, parliamentary inquiries about the importance of training and education for health professionals around uh, a range of aspects of um, palliative and end of life care provision. Um, and for the reasons we've discussed, knowing uh, the law is um, a, an important part of that. Um, fortunately, there, there has been a, a big investment by the Australian government in supporting um, palliative care education and training. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we've been very grateful for that and uh, would like to see that continue. There's also increasing recognition, which is very um, uh, pleasing to see from uh, specialty colleges and also health professional bodies um, for other uh, professionals, nurses and allied health about the importance of understanding um, uh, end of life law, um, particularly as it relates to patient centred care. That's also a really big focus of the Australian um, Commission on Quality and Safety in Healthcare and also the Aged Care Quality Commission. Um, so into the future, we expect to see um, more organisations and healthcare services recognising the importance of um, end of life um, uh, care and palliative care delivery and knowledge around that, including the legal component. So we're really on the right track. We're just going to keep going, which is which is great to hear. A challenge that uh, we hear about from health professionals is that they don't have time to do training. They're so busy meeting with patients and families and performing their clinical duties um, that they simply don't have time to to. Um, explore training opportunities. So health, uh, health services and organisations providing designated training time could support health professionals not only to do the end-of-life law for clinicians course, but it would also enable those health services to um, meet relevant quality and safety standards relating to end-of-life and palliative care and also patient-centred care. Um, our last question is generally like what can the individual know or do in this situation but we recognize that there are different groups of individuals here we have the health practitioners who may be required or we think should undertake this sort of training before they deliver this sort of care as well as you know those of us in the room who are potentially going to be patients ourselves or have family or friends going through this process so uh, Rachel do you have anything uh, any advice or recommendations for our our, our listeners today. It could be as simple as the URL to download the training. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so in terms of clinicians, they should do ELK. So they can register themselves for free and the training is available at ellc.edu.au. And for individuals who are not health professionals, 
Uh, Elk has a sister website called End of Life Law in Australia, which covers a lot of the similar legal topics, um, but is written for a wider audience, including community members. So they should check that one out as well. Mm, that sounds really interesting because it would be good to know, like, you know, if a parent or a family or a grandparent is in hospital, it would be nice to have these issues settled as to who can make decisions, what decisions can they make. Um, and this is something as, you know, citizens and members of Australia, this is something that we should all take our responsibility. And I think as well, this is one of those cheeky areas where the law is a little bit different in every state. And the best part of Ella is that it is state by state. So everyone everywhere around Australia can actually find information that's really relevant for them. Absolutely. So that's awesome how you've done that. Thank you for all the work that you've done. You are responsible, largely in part, for so much of the training and improvement in Australia for our health practitioners and for people like us. So you should feel really proud of yourselves. And we thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast and tell us about it. You're just amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank you to our listeners for listening once again to Let Me Write.